tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 94. Oh, you guys, I just love how God seems to work in themes. In the last episode, episode 93, I talked to Mary Morantz about letting God use your story. And I can't imagine a better follow-up than my conversation today with Irene Rollins about her new book, Reframe Your Shame, Experience Freedom from What Holds You Back. Listen, my friend, those things that the enemy uses to haunt and taunt you, telling you that you're no good, that you're damaged beyond all hopes of repair, well, he is a big fat liar. And the very thing that you think disqualifies you for God's best is the thing that God wants to use to bring you closer to him. Welcome to the living room, Irene. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be with you. Well, I love this book and I love your message. Um, we, You guys, you and your husband were leading a church for many years and now you've transitioned into marriage ministry, which, oh my goodness, but it's your own personal story that I, I just would love to hear what God has been doing and what's led to the message of this book. Absolutely. So um, my husband and I have been married 23 years, and we like to say it's been the best seven years ever. (laughs) And there is a story behind that. So we did not uh, transition the church because we had... because anything bad happened. It was actually a really good transition, just time for us to, um, seasons had shifted and it was time for us to focus on where our call and our, where our assignment for the next season was, which is marriage. Um, We've been through uh, a lot and it kind of started with a whirlwind romance of when we met at 21 and 24 years old. I didn't know anything about this whole church world, grew up Catholic and fell in love with Jesus, fell in love with my husband in like a six month period of time, got married. Don't recommend it. (laughs) I don't recommend that. Um, And, uh, you know, spent all my twenties really serving his parents' ministry and having children and just doing both the uh, serving at the church and raising a family. When I was in my early thirties, we uh, relaunched his parents' church together as I-5 City. And the church, everything we prayed for happened. Church grew, our congregation grew, salvations. It was absolutely amazing. But so did the pressures of life. (laughs) The pressures of ministry increased, the pressures of responsibility. And I did not have the emotional intelligence or awareness to know how to deal with uh, betrayal and grief. We had so many losses, did just too many funerals, but, mm. um, you know, and then just the weight of leading a staff and things of that nature. Well, simultaneously to us launching the church, I, we reintroduced, we were on vacation and we reintroduced alcohol into our lives. Mm. And, you know, here I was a mom, um, a leader, a pastor, and went from having a casual glass of wine to um, really abusing it and then falling into a full-blown addiction. And fast forward, so we launched the church in over a six-year period of time. The church was growing, the church was healthy, but Jimmy and I were slowly deteriorating behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Um, I had a very private struggle. I did. I had, pretty much I was um, medicating my pain. 
medicating my emotional uh, breakdown. Uh, I was emotionally sick, mainly from toxic shame. And when Mm. Jimmy gave me an ultimatum and said, you need to go to rehab, we were fighting all the time. I was like, no, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but this can't be me. I'm a pastor. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. Mm. And, you know, I just don't fit the description of an alcoholic because in my mind, all I knew was the guy under the bridge Mm -hmm. with a brown paper bag. So that just didn't fit me. And the, the idea of calling myself an alcoholic was the shame was just so toxic. I thought, I would die. I would rather die literally. Mm -hmm. So hit rock bottom between having some um, friends in our life and pastors who really coached me to go get help. Jimmy took time off of from um, pastoring sabbatical and we got healthy. I went to rehab. um, The most shameful thing I've ever experienced that would, that I would call my rock bottom became the foundation that the rest of my life was built on. And the foundation is a healthy one, a new one. Um, I feel like I'm finally that new creation, like really yes. born again now. And um, because I'm my authentic self now, and I learned how to do that in mm. recovery. And my family has gotten healthy. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. We quit all the dysfunctional things that we had no idea we were doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you can be operating with a lack of awareness, thinking that you ha- you know you have it all together. You have to have it all together. You have to be superwoman, mom, pastor, go to every event, be everything to everyone. But since I hit rock bottom, I have new lenses that I see my life, and that's why I wrote this book. So just reframing the shame of my trauma in my childhood to Mm. poor decisions I made to my alcoholism and, you know, Jimmy and I's marital issues. Now we're, God has reframed it and we're using it for good. Um, And to just to be a blessing to other people, we want to share how we've been journeyed through our hardest seasons. And um, there is hope. There is hope. And you are not bad just because you... Uh, fall into addiction. Yeah. No matter what, you know, your title is or, you know, where you are in your life and, you know, the beginning stages of marriage, you know, you're a teenager, you have a loved one. It doesn't matter. Like God loves us the way we are. And Mm -hmm. if we can openly admit our shame and he can reframe it and use it for good, our greatest pain can become our greatest ministry. Yeah, that's what's so beautiful about our Redeemer God. And yet, for whatever reason, I I can't quite figure it out why we're so slow to get honest. You know, we're so slow to bring the secret things into the light, even as Christians. You know, I remember talking to just one of the most vibrant young Christians at our old church. And she pulled me aside and she said, Joanna, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I could go to the worst sinner on death row and I could tell them, Jesus loves you, but I can't look in the mirror and convince myself. 100%. Yeah, we've got it in our head, Mm -hmm. but there is such a roadblock to our heart. And what for her, it was a secret that she had not told anyone, not her husband, uh, not anyone. And it was not just one, but multiple abortions. And as she brought that into the light, and and I told her, I said, this is why Jesus came. And it was just the sweetest moment. 
as she brought that secret into the light, that shameful thing that she thought totally disqualified her for God's best. Uh, She thought she was going to have to live uh, behind this mask, uh, Mm -hmm. pretending that she was a Christian, but never experiencing the freedom. And so how did you bring or get the courage to bring some of that toxic shame from the past into the light? Was it rehab? Yes. It, a lot of it was rehab because, and it was good therapist prior to. So I had mm. had a really good counselor who was able to work with me in such a way that um, she made it very safe for me to be open and honest. And I, I remember asking her that question, like, how does, because I pointed to Jimmy, he was in the same session with me. I'm like, how does he get so just painfully, brutally honest sometimes? And she said, Irene, it's called honesty. It's called truth. Try it sometime. It's freeing. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) you know, we laughed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't get, I didn't give myself permission to be that honest. Mm. I felt like the shame was saying, I am bad if I say this out loud. That's, it was, I was programmed that way from childhood. Will you talk about that? Yeah, we don't, we don't talk. I grew up in a household that, you know, we weren't, um, it wasn't in a, a place where we could openly share our emotions. Children are seen, not heard. And my parents did the best they knew how with, you know, what they had. I don't slight them for it. However, not being, growing into an adult and not being aware of where I am emotionally and how to express it, I lacked that skill. So I was 38 years old and I was an emotional infant Hmm. and did not know how to express my inner world, what was happening in my heart. Um, Didn't know I was allowed and felt tremendous shame for feeling angry, for feeling sad, for feeling, you know, anything, but then had no awareness of how to express myself. So I could help everybody else. Like you said, even with your friend, I could lead a bunch of people to Jesus and believe that his grace was sufficient for them. But I, for some reason, I didn't believe that for myself. So the safety of counselors, honestly, and hearing other people in my groups, in my Celebrate Recovery, in my AA groups, they got honest about yeah. the most, you I, you would literally, it would blow your mind the things that some of these people that I had the chance to be around have been through, you know, like, you know, from, I've heard stories of, you know, some of the, like people, your parents putting beer in, um, this one just came to me. So I, I want to share it. Like parents putting beer in sippy cups mm-hmm. for a toddler. And now this person is in rehab with me. And, you know, like almost the fact that they are even alive is a miracle because just like me at that young age, exposure to alcohol at a young age alters your brain. You've really become an alcoholic way before you're even aware of it. So um, I think the safety of hearing stories, what was said there stayed there. You know what I mean? Like I really felt anonymous in these groups where I didn't have to be pastor's wife. I didn't have to be mom. I I didn't have to be a wife. I got to be just Irene. And when I heard their stories and heard them break shame by sharing it out loud, I was like, I think I can do this too. I think I can do this too. 
And let me tell you, Second Corinthians twelve nine, where it says, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying, God, take this thorn in my flesh away from me. And he said it three times. And God said to him, like, my grace is sufficient. My yeah. power is perfected in your weakness. When I admitted that I was had a problem with al- alcohol, that I am an alcoholic, took me a, so long, 38 days in rehab wow. to finally say it out loud. And it, I held, I was in such denial because I felt like I was bad if I identified with that. Mm. Like I'm fundamentally flawed. God's grace didn't apply to me. Mm. Like I just couldn't say it. But when I admit my weakness, let me tell you something. It was like a ton of bricks came off of my shoulders. The whole room cheered. Got up and cheered <laughs> and clapped for me. And I was like, hey, what's happening? You guys do this all the time. And I just did it today. Why are you cheering? They're like, because we saw you struggle with denial for 38 days. Wow. Wow. But they were so gracious with me. They didn't shame me. They allowed me to go on the journey. And when I had my moment, light bulb moment, they saw it. And then they affirmed me in it. And they're like, God's going to use this for good. You're going to help so many people. Mm -hmm. It took you first having to admit that you're weak in that area. So God can help you with recovery. Wow. You know, we quote that verse, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we often apply that to spiritual truth. But I think it's this. I think Mm -hmm. it's until we know, yeah, I'm kind of messed up. Or, yeah. or I really did mess up. Or until we own our truth, then the truth mm-hmm. can't set us free. And it's just, I don't, I don't know why it is, Irene. It, it's like before we become a Christian, Satan tells us we're just fine. You don't need a savior. And then mm-hmm. after we become a Christian, he goes, you're too bad. You don't deserve a savior. Yes. Isn't it crazy? And it's, I don't understand. Is it because we think that once we have given our lives to Christ, then boom, we should have it all down. We should never need his forgiveness. We should never fail. And so we put up Mm -hmm. all this camouflage and hide behind fig leaves is what I talk about Mm -hmm. in my new book. What do you think? Oh, I can't wait to dive into your book. I, I think it's true. I think that we're, I think we're unaware We lack awareness. So it's like, if we understood, okay, Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world, sin separates us from God. So Jesus had to die. But shame, when we feel the emotion of shame, shame is an emotion. It's supposed to be a signal to tell us to do something different. Avoid that thing. Guilt says I am, you know, did something bad. So you say, I'm sorry. Problem with shame is we say I am bad. Mm-hmm. when we, that's the message that shame sends. So if we're not aware of it, we can take it on as our truth. And yeah. the, the, and we're hiding, like you said, pretending, performing, um, thinking that we have to like do more for God that, yeah. to earn his love, but grace is unmerited favor. Like we're never going to earn it. We're never we're going to deserve it. Like, the reality of that we are broken, raggedy, ragdoll humans who are sinners till the day we meet Jesus, we are going to be struggling and we need him all along the way. He wants us broken, like broken people. He doesn't want us to 
think we can fix ourselves and then come to church or then come into relationship with him. And once we know him, he gives us the grace and the strength to get through the hardships of life. See, the same stuff that was happening when I was under the pressures of early ministry are happening now. People are still betraying. People are still dying. People, I'm still experiencing stress. I just manage it different now Mm. than shame. I feel and understand shame to the point where I sense it in my body immediately. And I can, I I have an awareness now and I know that I'm having a shame attack and Mm. I know how to address it. And I have tools that I've learned that I talk about in my book that can help us become shame resilient. If we understand like it, that there's actually something we can do about it. We don't have to sit in the shame and the misery and all of that. Like you said earlier, confessing, confessing our sins, confessing our things we're shameful of in safe places. Like, and I can't wait. I think our, our books share a similar message because yours is trust and finding safe people, not perfect people, but safe people who will keep our information confidential, who will hold us accountable and tell us the hard thing and not shame us when we've made mistakes. Um, Those are people that we can trust and confess with for healing. And when we confess our sins to God, as scripture says, we are forgiven. We really are forgiven. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Well, and the very and I think it's James that says, "Confess your faults to one another, that you might be healed." There is there is this beautiful, and and it's really interesting because I think sometimes too, shame. We say, "Oh, it's just between me and God," and and in a real sense, it is. I mean, forgiveness only He can really give us the forgiveness we need. But the shame is broken when we bring it into the light, when we are honest with someone else. And it's it's really kind of interesting too, you know, that verse that I don't fully understand, but it says, when you forgive someone's sins, they are forgiven. There, mm-hmm. There's almost something in that community. Now, of course, ultimately God is the only one who forgives, but we we take off the grave clothes. We unwind the shame of off of one another when we give space to say, mm-hmm. thank you for being honest. And no, I'm not, I'm not going to reject you and neither does God reject you. And I, I, you know, I was just thinking one of the real revolutionary things for me, and let me just tell you, <laughs> I've said it before on this podcast. Irene, it's really embarrassing. I was raised in a grace-filled home in a grace-filled church. I have no reason for my dysfunctionality. <laughs> you are so funny. <laughs> but I'm still, I didn't realize it until I think mm-hmm. I was reading, um, and I can't remember the title, but Christine Kane's book about mm-hmm. shame. I didn't realize the shame that I carried. Mine was mm-hmm. a good girl shame. And and yeah. when I didn't measure up to my mm-hmm. self-imposed expectations, um, uh, you know, I've not really struggled with other people's expectations because I've got so many. You've got so many. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so ashamed, so mm-hmm. disappointed in me because I should be more. I should do more. And so really even... It's been really revolutionary to realize that my sin, that I am not my sin. Let me put it that way. I am not my sin. I thought I was. I thought Mm -hmm. I was. And so because I couldn't change me, 
Or maybe I had that besetting sin that I just kept tripping over. And of course I have. Um, then all of a sudden bad me, terrible me. And so I just, when either I defaulted to, let's just work harder, let's self-help mm-hmm. myself out of this, or, or just, well, I'll never change. There's no hope. So I would love to circle back around to those tools that have kind of unlocked those shame attacks, because I really believe you don't have to have a dark, sordid past. You don't even have to be currently even struggling with any life-controlling addictions, but shame, Mm -hmm. just that heaviness to shut us down and keep us from the Lord. How do we get free, Irene? Man, it's first of all, shame is so heavy. I like the like the way you uh, said that because, like so many of us, the listeners, like we're carrying around. It's not just about addiction. We go to something to cope with the weight, the stress of carrying around this baggage that Jesus wanted us to unpack all along the journey of our life. But we're carrying the shame of not being good enough. Yeah. So for me, I had the past. I was promiscuous. I was all of these things. God, you're going to use me to be a pastor, to be a pastor's wife and lead a church. Um, inside, I said, shame on you. You did this in your past. Shame on you. You'll mm-hmm. never be good enough. And then it's interesting to hear even your the way shame was framed in your life. It was performance-based. Like We yeah. both performed to be good enough, but like you shamed yourself. Like we should all over ourselves. We should, I shoulda, 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 shoulda. Oh yeah. And um, we got to quit, quit that. And it's um, interesting how um, I think awareness of shame. So this whole discussion, like you said, Christine Shane wrote about shame, Um, Christine Kane and like my medical file in rehab said toxic shame. Like I was diagnosed Mm. with toxic shame. I did not know how much shame was a thing from a psychological standpoint. And the Bible is chock full of um, the human response to shame and how what God's promises are for us um, when we deal with our shame properly. So we have to become aware that shame is an emotion. It's a signal to tell us to do something. So it says I am bad, but now we're gonna take, we're gonna, um, take steps to be aware. And then we're gonna look at our shame and we're going to do something different with it. We're not going to accept mm-hmm. it into our heart as our truth. We're going to have new boundaries internal where we can say, this doesn't belong to me. You know what, devil, you can have that back. I am right. enough, you know? And so I had to do, I have, there are too many uh, tools to count, like that these therapists worked with me on in rehab. Like one of them, I had to affirm myself when I looked in the mirror. I had to write affirmations and stickies and put them on the mirror, look at myself and say, you are beautiful. You are all these things because I felt ugly. I literally would look in the mm. mirror and I'm like, oh my God, I feel so ugly. Help and me. you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. I believe I'm beautiful now, but I didn't for a long time, you know? And, um, you know, to every, there, I remember one person had an assignment every time they walked through a door they had to say an affirmation. It's like you have to literally change Mm -hmm. your brain. You know, when you, that's the renewal of the mind, but the renewing of the mind doesn't happen just by an altar experience or saying a prayer or speaking a scripture over it. That is all well and good and needed, 
But along with that is practicing the new healthy pattern. So what are you replacing the old shame thought with? I'm not enough. I am enough because God says I'm enough. So I had to create a new neural pathway in my brain, a new road. And the new thing that God wants to do in all of us will happen. But we have to practice this new healthy pattern. Looking at shame, is this true? Is it 100% true? If not, I can assess if I'm going to give it back, reflect it back to the person who may have said it to me. Um, I have a choice in that matter to accept it as my own truth or not. And if it doesn't belong to me, I give it back. And I've really gone through my life and listed like things that I have said over myself, secret scripts Mm, that I've spoken over myself and began to like really look at it. Is this true? What if I thought about this differently? Okay, what does the Bible say about this? I speak with friends. I speak with my pastor. I speak, read books on it, resources. You know, there are tons of Christian resources. And then I make a decision that this is what my new posture is going to be. And I reframe it. And here's one that was really ugly. I'm going to give you an example that I went through. It was like I had to, I had a message that I am bad because I hurt my kids. Mm. And I had to look at that thing. Is it true that I hurt Mm. my kids? Yes, it is true. I hurt them deeply. Could I look at this differently? Did I make amends? Yes. Did they forgive me? Yes. Yeah. Am I forgiven by my children and by God? Yes. Did I have to change my behavior and not drink anymore so they could I could develop trust with them and heal the wounds that the old Irene caused? Yes. Yeah. I'm forgiven. I'm free. My kids, we are better today than we ever were before Please. I was drinking. So we thank God for the opportunity to make amends to have made a mistake and come to them and say, I'm so sorry I did this. That's it. I'm seven years sober this November uh, 2022. And yeah, and my kids celebrate it like nobody's business. They're like, they love the the sober mom that is proud enough of her weakness to share it because of the power of Christ that's Mm. been at work in me. I don't boast for my own good. They look at me and they see the power of Christ at work in me because I'm admitting my weakness. What a testimony to our kids. It is. It, it, it That's the problem, right? We're like, well, I've got to be the perfect parent. Yeah. Well, what are we modeling? We're modeling an impossible standard, right? But if we can model that repentance, and I think that was mm-hmm. the thing that was really freeing for me in realizing, number one, I am not my sin. But mm-hmm. in doing that, it was like the Lord gave me almost like helped me step back mm-hmm. and see what I was doing as, as separate from me. It was like third person. And I could look at the sin. I could look at the behavior, the attitude, whatever it was. And I could say, you're right. Holy Spirit, you're right. That is sin. And I don't want it anymore. Please yes. forgive me. Please set me free. And in doing that, we access the power of God. Because if we're if we're continually just holding it, trying to hide it, not getting honest about it, then we're in bondage to sin. But when we can bring it into the light, 
as he's in the light, then he can yes. set us free. And it's, it is a process. You know, there are things that I've struggled with. You know, I, to be honest, Irene, I think I have a very addictive personality. Had mm-hmm. I been raised in a different situation, there is a very good chance because I think we all buffer with something. We all try to numb our emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be shopping. It could be food. Um, we, we all have our addictions and relationships. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cause even those good things can become our escapism. And I, I was just thinking as I was just praying about our time together, Paul writes in first Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's the thing I think we have to come to. What what am I using to numb out, to escape my current reality, escape the need to just get honest about where I'm at and what I'm feeling? And so I love I love that you got this toolkit that goes along with your book and some really beautiful resources. We'll put links to it in the show notes. But Oh, there's so many things I want to talk about, but I, I would like to, and it's kind of a controversial step, subject, and and that is just this new wave of alcohol is great and wine is fine, and even in the church, and you know, I know that can come across that maybe I'm going to come across as legalistic, but as Paul said, everything's permissible. But not everything is beneficial. And I I worry if in, in using our freedom to do whatever we want, we're not actually creating stumbling blocks, not just for others, but for ourselves. Can you just maybe talk about that a little? Yes. I love the way um, Romans 1 through 2 kind of talks about it. It's like, the message version says, don't co- don't become so well-adjusted uh, to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Mm. And that's the key. Like, we're not, I'm not here, you're not here to say, you know, alcohol is good or bad. And I talk about that in my book because, you know, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Hi. We're not here to have that argument, to be honest with you, because technically um, Jesus made water into wine. Like wine is not bad, right? Right. It's us conforming to the things of this world, which is um, glamorizing yeah. and um, the ex- how acceptable it is to drink, but it's not just to drink, it's to take it past moderation. And so it's glamorous. Like I had a t-shirt that said, I will run for wine. It's mommy juice. You know, I didn't realize that I fell into fitting in with my culture, like that there's, oh, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. Guess what? It's not beneficial to Irene because I do have a, it's genetically, I have a propensity for alcoholism. Didn't know that prior to becoming an alcoholic Mm. because nobody talked about it. So I already was set up for addiction there genetically. Then I had trauma, sexual Mm. abuse in my childhood that I was stuffing and numbing and not talking about, feeling shame about. So when I reintroduced alcohol on vacation in my 30s, oh, I felt good. And it was a temporary satiation of pain. 
and binge drinking. I didn't just wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to become an alcoholic and hurt my family and yeah. potentially um, my life, wreck my life. I It was a slow, insidious disease mm-hmm. that crept up on me because I had changed my brain with alcohol in my, at 10 years old exposure then, abusing it through my teens. Abstinence for a period of time, we think, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. Right. I can handle it. Yeah, I can handle it. We rationalize. But then when I reintroduced it, I picked up right where I left off, which mm-hmm. was I only drank back when I was 20 to get drunk. That's where you, you pick up wherever you left off and it just mm-hmm. gets worse. So I had no awareness of the addiction spectrum and how it all worked. So, you know, it's just crazy to me how if we're not talking about it enough and we're conforming to what the world said versus deciding for ourselves, deciding for me, how do I feel and going to the word of God for the answers? God, what do you say about alcohol? You say it's what Paul said about it. We have to weigh if it's beneficial and we have to make a decision. We're not going to let anything master us. That's it. It's alcohol, um, watching TV, binge watching Netflix. Because think about it. We can become so sick and powerless over TV. Yeah. Yeah. Step one is in Alcoholics Anonymous and CR, Celebrate Recovery. It's admitting we're powerless over you fill in the blank. It could right. be TV. It could be the phone. If I'm binge watching TV and neglecting my baby, my family, if I'm gaming and I'm unable to go to work because I've stayed up late all night and I have no energy the next day to perform Mm -hmm. at work and I get fired, consequences are increasing because of my use of something to numb out on. And the dependency increases after that. So I hope I'm making sense. Like I'm trying to say in society, it could be ice cream. It could be, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know, like gaming, like the phones, the phones are taken over, man. I seriously. And, and honestly, I think you're exactly right. What am I turning to? What Mm -hmm. am I turning to for escape? What am I turning to when, you know, and we're, it's almost like we have become addicted to having our mind always fed something, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is the phone thing, you know? And so for me, mine was emotional eating and um, kind of numbing out with food. And I still, that's my slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And I have to be aware of that. And I felt so powerless. Honestly, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am today. And I was eating to escape whatever I was not wanting to feel. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remembered just praying, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Son Mm -hmm. of David, have mercy on me. Because I honestly couldn't figure out, like, will I ever be free of this? I I didn't Mm -hmm. think I could Mm -hmm. ever get free of this addiction. It would be as miraculous Mm -hmm. as growing another limb. And, you know, it wasn't overnight, but as I walked in that place where there was grace, then it was like that bondage to food began to loosen. And, you know, I just think about that girl out there that she's listening. And to be honest, our conversation could be causing a lot of shame. And I think I just want you to hear that both Irene and I say, oh girl, it's okay. (laughs) 
This is why Jesus came. Bring it to him. Bring it into the light. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to that girl who just feels so hopeless and helpless like I did? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, first of all, it's okay to not be okay. Mm. You can take off your superwoman cape. It's okay to not like not have it all together. It's yeah. okay to have a bad day, say the wrong thing, make mistakes. The we what we have the awesome opportunity to do is to today from this day forward to see things through a different lens, mm. to look at things that we feel so much shame about and bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, God, what do you want to do with this? Do you want me to journal it and burn the journal? Do you want me to write a letter? Do you want me to say this to my prayer accountability and so that it can lose its power? Like, where do you want me to place it? He wants you to get it out. We have to speak it. And mm-hmm. that safe place may be a pastor, a therapist, maybe some, I've had people come to the altar and, you know, whisper in the ear of the prayer person at the altar, like, you know, that and that they wanted to get free from something in particular. And it's like in that moment, they felt freedom just by saying, can you pray for me about my struggle with food? You know what I mean? Um, Can you pray for me because I'm resentful towards my spouse who's uh, drinking all the time. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I've lost my uh, best friend, you know, like the, the person who's had the abortions and just never felt like that particular sin could be forgiven. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, You know, it's, it's bringing it to the feet of Jesus and speaking it in a safe place so that we can feel that release. You will literally feel a physical release from it. Yeah. From shame. It, there's a lifting. God is so Mm. amazing how he (laughs) created these bodies and temples of ours that we we are temples of the Holy Spirit and he literally doesn't want us to hold on to that. Yes. Like there is freedom on the other side of denial. Stop denying that you are struggling with yeah. something, whether it's a hurt, whether it's a hang up that you have, like unforgiveness or resentment, or it's a habit, like an addiction. Yeah. All of us need to recover from something. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's there is freedom for us all if we are willing to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think even to be okay that we're broken. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we work so hard to hide that and we're so ashamed of it and we think that it's disqualified us. But I'm consistently amazed how it's the broken places in my life that I've made available to him that God has used way more than anything I've ever had maybe together. You know, it, yeah. it's been it's been letting God get his hands on me. And I think that that's such, we just got to remember, this is the good news of the gospel. He came to set the captive free. And mm-hmm. I think so often, you know, we, we stop at the cross, you know, we, we've got heaven, but we don't have life, real life here on earth because we're so afraid to get honest that I am not what I ought to be. And I still struggle and I, and I still have these behaviors that are less than God honoring. And so, you know, like I said, we either buckle down and try harder or we just give up and we go, I guess I'll just hold on for heaven. Oh, Irene, I love your heart. I love your heart so much. Thank you so much. I just love Jesus. 
I love Jesus and, you know, experiencing his redeeming love through my darkest and hardest seasons. I just want people to know him in the fullness of what he, who he is. And he is a redeeming God, a loving, gracious God, not uh, a God that's, you know, looking, pointing a finger at us and saying, shame on you. Mm, He's yes. saying, no, come as you are. He, you know, he's not this, uh, you know, disciplinarian that's full of rules. He's got a massive heart. He loves us so much that he gave up his only son. Like, that's the God that we serve. He loves us, me, exactly as I am, perfectly imperfect. Like, yeah. he loves me. He created me. Didn't make a mistake with any of us. And I'm just so grateful grateful Amen. for his grace and his mercy. I want people to know that God, him, and the beauty of who he is, not through the lenses of shame that says, I, you know, something's wrong with me. So he's not going to love me because I did something bad, you know? Yeah. I want people to know him and, and experience his reckless love, you know? Yeah. That, well, that's it. You know, I think... It wasn't until I brought my brokenness to him that I discovered what a good savior he was, you know? And and if we settle for, you know, our ticket to heaven and never experience his grace and his love and his acceptance here on earth, then we've missed the best part. Because the angels, they look into what we have, uh, this great redeemer, and they want that. Because I, w I kept thinking as you were sharing that, you know, where it says where the, the, the prostitute lavishes her gift on Jesus and her tears and dries his feet with her hair. And, you know, everyone's going, oh, how shameful, pretty much. And Jesus says, oh, she who loves much, she who is forgiven much loves much. And I think that's what we've experienced, Irene. Me too. Even this goody two shoes needs a savior. Yes. And it's when I received that, rather than being offended by my brokenness, received his forgiveness. Oh, my, my relationship with him exploded. So whatever you're hiding in the dark, bring it to him because it is going to, it's going to revolutionize your life with him. I, I fully believe that. Yeah, I believe it. And you know what, Joanna, even if we're angry with God, we think sometimes that that's wrong and we shouldn't ever say that out loud. I'm mad at God because I experienced abuse yeah. because my parents got divorced because my loved one died before I felt like it was time for them to leave this earth. Like we get so angry with God and we feel shame about even saying that out loud that we're, oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. I should never say that I have mm. doubts, you know? Yeah. And here's the thing about Jesus. The more I learn about him, I see that he, he had um, such compassion for people yeah. with doubts. He had such compassion for people in sin. He came here for us. He came here for us to be around us. He looked for us. He wanted to be around people with doubts, broken people, not perfect people. Yeah. And so it just, again, to your point, like we get to experience that type of love while we're here on earth. While we're here on earth, we can experience it now. Oh, yeah. And it's not our perfection. It's not 
our holy life and our spiritual disciplines. It's us bringing our junk <laughs> and giving God access, right? I keep thinking, I keep thinking, you know, He made us from the dust of the dirt of the earth, and if we'll let Him into the junk and the dirt and the muddy mess, He can remake us all over again and and release everything that He intended when He made us from the foundations of the earth. Oh, I could talk to you for forever, my friend. There, He's so, so good. He's so, so good. And I would just say, you guys, don't let shame keep you from your Savior. It's why He came. It's why He came. Oh, as we close, I would just love to have you close us in prayer, Irene. Absolutely. Father, we come before you in agreement, thanking you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you that you're a good father and that you see mm. us, you know us, you're, we're the apple of your eye. And yeah. there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love that you have for us. So thank you, Jesus, for taking yes. our shame, despising yes. our shame, reframing our shame through the work of the cross. Now, God, we can look at our shameful experiences and we can see that you endured the shame of the crucifixion. And then yeah. you're seated at the right hand of the Father. So God, we focus our eyes on you yes, so that we can see through lenses of glory, lenses mm-hmm. of grace, of the fact that our shame doesn't define us, but it actually, when we accept our weaknesses and our humanity and our brokenness, we just get closer to you. Yes, yes. Because we fall on our knees and say, yes, we need a savior. So God, we accept our humanity today. We Mm -hmm. ask that you just fill us with your presence and your grace to be able to admit our weaknesses and surround us with people who are going to lead us into a closer relationship with you. Mm. Bless every listener, Lord. Give them the strength and the grace to deal with whatever situation they're faced with, whatever um, is holding them back from being the best version of themselves. Yes. I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wasn't that a beautiful conversation? I wish you could have seen Irene's beautiful face because she literally glows with the beauty of Jesus. All because she got honest about her weakness, her brokenness, her sin, and even her trauma. She brought her secrets into the light, and God has transformed her life. Perhaps you've been holding back. Perhaps you've been afraid to bring it all to Jesus because of shame, or or maybe you've been afraid that even if you did bring it to Him, nothing would ever change. Well, listen, don't let doubt or fear keep you from running to your Savior, because there's nothing too dark or horrible that He cannot heal. If you'd like to get hold of Irene's book and toolkit, we put links into the show notes over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 093. Or you can actually just scroll down on your podcast player because they should be there as well. If you know a friend who needs this message, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on social media or text it to a friend with the hashtag living room podcast. I believe this message is so important, you guys. Because the enemy wants to keep us locked down in our shame because he knows that if he can keep us locked in our past, in our guilt, in our sin, then we're going to miss the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus came to give. But when we get honest with God and transparent before our people, the truth, the truth sets us free. 
unshackling us from shame and guilt and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus so that we're able to live and love and lead like Him.